Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Hello from wherever you are uh, watching today. We're hoping to encourage you to meet with somebody else and be able to do this in groups, maybe a larger family group or some friends over where you feel still comfortable and safe to do, as Jeff talked about in our announcement earlier. When you're you're watching together, uh, it's okay to hit pause and be able to have a discussion right at that very moment. There might be something someone wants to say or talk about, and it's okay to pause it. Technology allows this now, and so you can take a break, have a little discussion, and then go back and continue continue watching. Uh, We really do want to encourage this to be uh, an experience that shared community, which church has so much, which is so much a part of what church really is all about. Now, as we begin, let's just bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We're glad that you're the God of all energy because we're tired. Uh, we're tired of the virus. We're tired of the restlessness in our world. We're tired of the abuse that has taken place. We're tired of injustice. We pray that as we open your words, we think about these things today, that you'll teach us how we can can trust your church because we'll be trustworthy and that we can serve the community and be able to be agents of change to make the world a better place for our being here. In Jesus' name, amen. Being the church isn't easy. Never has been, never will be. It, it isn't easy because of a couple of factors. First, it isn't easy because the era of the church for its entire existence from its very beginning has been in this awkward zone, uh, this now and not yet together. We call, we're called now to be the body of Christ. In our world, we are, we're called to love and care and heal and forgive and include and serve and evangelize, and the list could go on and on. We are called to represent to actually be the body of Christ on earth. The, word, the, the church is called to be the kingdom now, but the challenge is that the now is in this world that's very fallen and full of sin. We get to be the church and, and wrestle with not just flesh and blood issues, but with principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. It reminds me a little bit of a, of a snapshot of any one of us. We are like those pictures. Maybe you've seen them where you hold it one way and you see something and you can twist it a little bit and, and it becomes something else. Uh, you, well, something lovely turns into something maybe it is a monster. We, we just finished our series on Colossians and the amazing verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 22, where it says this, Christ brings us into the very presence of God. And we are holy and blameless as we stand before him without a single fault. The the, the picture of who we are, when it's in God's hands, it gets twisted just enough to change us from being us to what he sees is the perfection of Jesus Christ, the absolute perfection of Jesus. But when we get through meeting with God and we step outside and we bump into one of us, 
oh my, the picture changes. Uh, this is tilted to a different way. Uh, that image may appear a little more monsterish then. We're saved now, but currently, like Paul wrote to the Corinthians, we, we don't see things really clearly. We see through a mist, a fog, peering through, uh, trying to see what's really there. In the same way, the church, uh, the, the church, the body of Christ, is perfect in Christ, but not yet glorified, not yet removed from the influence of this world of sin. So it isn't easy to be the church because we sit in this in-between time. The, the war has been won on the cross. Jesus is the victor. The, the king has conquered. And yet the enemy hasn't signed the surrender papers. And so battles still rage. And while we wait for the final consummation, and living in this now but not yet time means it's not easy being a church. There is not one person I know that has been part of a church for any considerable length of time that hasn't been wounded by the church. I, I certainly have. People in the body of Christ, the local congregation, uh, whom I have trusted very, very much so, and who I believed had my back, turned out they didn't. The, the wise man writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other can help them up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I've had people in the church that I thought were woven together in those strong three strands, part of the same uh, cord, so to speak. But a day came when I realized that they didn't have my back, that we weren't so woven together as I, I thought was the case. There's that story. Maybe you've told it, or a confession of something, or maybe you just have gone to someone to seek forgiveness, or in a moment you've chosen to be vulnerable with a member of the body of Christ. You opened up asking for forgiveness or understanding or prayer, and then, and then, and then, later, we discovered that our, our intimate story was shared. And it's like a knife goes in us. We're wounded by the church. And in a denomination like ours with a large parochial school system, I don't know how many thousands, thousands of our young people over the years have been wounded by those who they believe were there to teach and protect because it is the church and it's connected to God. God gets tied up in this and so the, the wound is, is also oftentimes blamed upon God himself. So between being in this in-between zone, uh, the, the not yet and the yet to be, and being made up of sinful fallen human beings, perfect in Christ, but quite imperfect in themselves, being the church isn't easy. Never has been, never will be. One of the first challenges in the early church was the one that the church faced was discrimination. Uh, some might call it racial discrimination. I don't. I know if that'd go that far, but it certainly was ethnic and cultural discrimination. It was a painful problem. It was a problem that left unsolved and unresolved could have torn the early church apart. 
damaged that infant church. The story is found in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. These were exciting days, exciting days for the early church. Just a few chapters before, Peter preaches, and 3,000 plus joined the church, come, become part of the followers of Jesus. It was an amazing time. Marv- miraculous signs and wonders were done by the apostles. People were healed. Uh, people would keep coming for more healings. It was, a gr- it was a great day. More and more people, it says, believed in Jesus. As the church was rapidly expanding, there were rumblings of discontent. Acts chapter 6 says, those who spoke Greek complained against those who spoke Hebrew, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the distribution, the daily distribution of food. The Greek widows were, were being shortchanged compared to the supplies and the amount given to the Hebrew widows. What's fascinating to me is you read these seven verses in Acts chapter 6, that there is no pushback. The people who have been distributing the food didn't say, no, we've been doing this fairly. They didn't, there was no investigation. There was no shaming. There was no correction of those who have been distributing the food. But an amazing thing happened. The 12 apostles called a meeting of all the believers, it says, and they said that, hey, look, we need to be preaching and we need to be teaching. We don't need to be involved in the food program. Look among yourselves and pick seven men, seven men to be able to oversee this. Everybody thought it was a good idea. And so seven men were selected. What is fascinating that I learned from my son-in-law last week is that the seven named in this passage, each of their names are there, all seven of those new leaders were Greek names. Greek names. It's like they complain the Greek widows aren't getting their fair share, and the solution is, okay, we'll just put seven Greek guys in charge of the food distribution. Uh, Put the whole thing in their hands. Can't you just hear some of the Hebrew-speaking folks going, wait, 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 just a minute here. We, maybe the Greek widows were shortchanged, but now when you put these Greeks in charge, now what's going to happen is our widows are going to be shortchanged. I can hear the apostles say, why, why are you worried about that? You know, has that happened to you so far? If that does happen, we'll, we'll work on that. We'll make some kind of reparations. But having the Greeks in charge, having the Greeks in charge should solve the complaint. And knowing the pain of discrimination, having experienced it themselves, maybe they'll be really careful to be fair to all. The result of this decision is that we don't hear any more about this problem in the New Testament. Instead, it says this, God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted to. Obviously, the plan worked. Giving the power to the marginalized didn't create a new system of marginalization, a new system of discrimination. They knew what it was to have those whom they loved treat, treated unfairly, and so because they and, and so they, because of that, are arbitrators of a very just food distribution program. When we live in our world with a sense of unfairness, it can be exhausting. Life just doesn't seem fair. 
That's where we are right now in this pandemic. We're tired of the news. We're sick of distancing ourselves. We're mentally worn out at every nuance being turned into some kind of political issue, exhausted by fear, and tired of the virus. It's only been, folks, and I'm not discounting this, it's been three months, three months, not 40 years wandering in the wilderness, not 30 years sitting in prison somewhere. It's been three months. And, uh, and in three months, it's amazing, we're overwhelmed and we're tired and we're a little depressed. We, we all feel like our freedoms have been, have been curtailed because they have. <laughs> and we feel controlled by others because we are. And, and we grasp at ways to get our feet back under us. We try to exercise what control we have, thinking, okay, maybe if I wash my hands enough, maybe if I wear a mask enough, maybe if I clean the things I touch enough, maybe if I don't touch my face enough, maybe if I social distance enough, maybe if I do enough, I can avoid the virus or I can, I can at least heal from the virus. And living like this wears us out. This morning in my Rotary meeting, I, I talked to some folks about the, being tired and they said, that's exactly the right word. We're, everybody's just tired. And living like this wears us out, and it just exhausts us after just three months. Listen, with the death of George Floyd, we have been painfully made painfully aware of a long, not months or years or decades, but centuries-long pandemic of racial injustice in our country. Um, The land of the free. If, if we think we are tired from three months of COVID-19, we can't even begin to imagine in, in, in our biggest stretches of our minds uh, what it's like, the, the exhaustion of generation after generation, lifetimes on lifetimes of enduring racial injustice that compounds and rests heavily on the black people in our community, our church community, our school community, our general community. And here we are, at a distance right now, watching online, but still all part of the same body of Christ. All fallen, yet saved. All perfect in Christ, and yet a mess in ourselves. All with the same feelings. It it doesn't feel different to be excluded or pushed aside or ignored because of your people group. The feelings are all hurt the same. The feelings of loss when a friend or a loved one dies, those feelings aren't ethnic or racial. They're just simply human feelings. In times of crisis, we we look for anchor points. We look for places where, where during the time of disequilibrium, we can grab on for support. With our heads spinning and being a little bit dizzy or disoriented, we, we need something to bring us stability. For our black brothers and sisters, this is not new. Sad, yes, but shocking, no. Racial injustice, which is experienced to greater and lesser degrees daily, has simply been caught on video, exposed exposed to us, that that which has been happening for centuries, often behind the scenes, or hidden from public view or scrutiny, or 
a short news blast and then it's gone has been exposed now to us all. A friend asked me this week why this case has sparked conversation about racial inequity, racial injustice. And it was a really good question. I'm not sure of, of the answer, but I think it's some combination of, seeming, of the seemingly cavalier attitude of the officer and the blatant disregard for human life. And in some case, maybe it's George Floyd's, some case has to be the straw that breaks the proverbial camel's back of silence and moves us, moves us from quiet sadness to loud anti-racist advocacy. My friend Charles Tapp, who is the senior pastor of the Sligo Seventh-day Adventist Church in Washington, is a, was the first black senior pastor of that church. Last week he said to his congregation, that could have been me. How would you have felt if that had been your pastor? Often in the middle of a crisis, coping mechanisms put us in a fog. Uh, we, we block out the magnitude of the struggles we're in. There may, there may be events that occur during a crisis that after the crisis is passed, we can't even recall having been part of that event. We're so used to the hype of the rapidly changing news cycles that we keep moving to what's next and thinking, instead of thinking and planning and working and engaging and sacrificing whatever is needed to bring about change. It is important to not lose the value that a crisis brings. While going through one isn't something we'd choose, I'm learning that crises can be times that create new filters for our lives because time seems to compress during a crisis and we begin to reevaluate what really matters. As we've been passing through the COVID crisis, what has it awakened? What What has it awakened us to that we should hold on to in the new post pandemic era. And now, with we have the horrific death of George Floyd that is shaking us awake to the reality of the crisis of racial injustice in our country. The country that, that holds that all of us are created equal and that we're all endowed with certain inalienable rights, among them life, 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 liberty and the pursuit of happiness. How do we let ourselves not be rushed from this story? To, to what must we let it motivate us? What, what steps should we take? When COVID-19 first hit the news, uh, early on, first time we heard about it on the news, it, it felt bad for China. We sort of, oh, it's too bad for China. It's far away. They don't speak our language. They aren't us, and we sort of initially thought of it as their problem. That's their problem. And now it has become everyone's problem. I'm afraid that too many, that too many in the majority culture have often thought of racial injustice as their problem. Their problem. We hear about some discriminatory practice, some white supremacy group protesting something, someone not allowed to have a certain job, and we, we discount that as their problem. Brianna Taylor, 26-year-old EMT, awakens to gunfire her boyfriend shooting because the house is being broken into without announcing who it is. The police return fire and eight bullets find her and she dies. 
they're looking for a suspect that was already in custody. And too many people in our world think of that as their problem. Their problem. Ahmad Arbery is killed while he's out jogging. It's bad, it's sad, it's tragic. But at the same time, there's something about so many in our majority culture that think of it as their problem. Maybe what George Floyd's death has done for us in this nation, the reason that people are out protesting and and saying enough's enough is that it has awakened us to the reality that, that there must not be an us and a them. This is our problem, our problem. Watch my friend Charles Tapp. Listen to his words. Hey, family. Got a text from one of my daughters this morning. Doesn't really matter which one it was. That's really immaterial to what I have to say. But basically in the text, she said to me, Dad, I need you to be careful today. Now, immediately I thought that she was referring to COVID-19, the coronavirus, and the whole pandemic that we've all been dealing with lately. But it wasn't until later in the day that I realized she was saying, Dad, I need you to be careful because you're a black man in America. That took a lot for me to take in. You know, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, The Bible says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and and man became a living soul. So when someone is asking you to get off their neck so that they can breathe, so that they can live, in essence what they're saying is, allow me to experience the gift that God has given me the same way that you are experiencing the gift that God has given you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew seven twelve: Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Newsflash, if we all just followed that one piece of counsel from the words of Jesus, what a different world this would be. Not just for a few of us, but for all of us. So in response to my daughter's tweet, Dad, be careful out there. All I can say is this. I can breathe for now. Post-pandemic, post the current news cycle, I want us whole life church to be a place of faith community where you can find trust. You can find trust. Not trust that we will always say the right thing or do the right thing or behave in the right way, but we want to. We want to. We want to practice the entire ethic of teaching others, of treating others the way we wish to be treated. In response to Charles' sermon last week, Chris Oberg from La Sierra University wrote this to Charles Tapp. If I don't have a knee on my neck, I'd better use my strength to get the knee off of yours. 
let us commit to be a faith community that can be trusted. A place that learns to respond beyond supportive silence, that seeks to set a the captives free and release those held captive in the prison of racial injustice that seeks to practice Christ's ethic and God's amazing kindness to all. That anyone who comes, that anyone who comes near us, whether we're gathered in this place or whether we're at the grocery store or at home or out for a walk or wherever we might be at work, that anyone who comes near to us will sense and experience that we are loving them, loving them, hopefully into a lifelong friendship with God. Well, thank you for tuning in and joining us for worship today. I hope that maybe you were with some friends uh, or some extra family. You'll have some time to discuss the the, uh, conversation we've had today, look up our takeaway questions online, and uh, be able to interact about this topic. Uh, That's what I really want to encourage as we think about the next couple of weeks is to really think about doing this in at least smaller groups uh, like Jeff and Tammy experienced communion with Brad and Cindy last week. And now our benediction. Now glory be to God by his mighty power at work within us. He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. May he be given glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever through endless ages. Amen. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.